This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Mallory. And Mallory was in a toxic relationship with a higher spectrum narcissist. It's a story of being a fixer, control, facades, and parental alienation of stepchildren. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. And this is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad. And thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Mallory, I just first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you have not been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show. Go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, fill out the guest form, there's a button at the top of the page, and away we will go. But another way to be on our show is also to go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, and on the side of the page, there's a floating button that says Send Voicemail. That button is for our letters to our Narcissist Compilation episodes. If you want to read a letter to your narcissist, press that button, records up to five minutes. Want to press it twice, records up to ten. And we are accumulating these letters for our letters to my narcissist volume. I think it's going to be seven uh, coming up when we do it. Six or seven. I've lost track. And anyway, if you don't want to read the letter yourself and you want me or my old pal Melissa to read it for you, just send an email to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. Now, other things going on at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Well, we are now offering high conflict parenting courses that can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. We have partnered with an online parenting company called Online Parenting, and the courses we are offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you've listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, 
you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court, and now he's helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. And what else do we have for you here today? Well, also at our, our website, I redesigned it. So if you want to go and just check out our redesign of our website, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. You'll see everything new. It's uh, more mature than it was uh, before. Uh, I'm happy about that. It's a pretty cute website. So if you always want to do that, go and do that. Check everything out. But another way, if you want to support our show is to go to a different website. It's to go to patreon.com slash NarcissistApocalypse. Yes, we have a Patreon. And if you want to hear episodes that never made it to air, follow up episodes with former guests and our new virtual support groups, which are on every Wednesday and Saturday night. Plus, we have our own private support forum as well that's now starting to rock and roll. Please do go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash NarcissistApocalypse. For as low as five bucks a month, you get a lot of support. Plus, you get air episodes that never made it to air. So please do go there if you want to help support the show. And that's it. I, this is a really uh, interesting episode with Mallory. You know, sometimes I hear stuff that I've never heard before. And this was the first one uh, where I've heard of parental, parental alienation of a stepchild. So her partner uh, at the time was... Um, you know, alienating her own son uh, against her. And that's something I hadn't heard before. So this is a really interesting episode. It unfolds, you know, and this is an episode where she had no idea that the person was going to change so dramatically. It's a really interesting listen. So please, I hope you uh, enjoy uh, this episode with Mallory. And without further ado, here's my episode with Mallory. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Mallory. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Your story is a was uh, based on a five year relationship. Is that correct? Uh, just about five years. Just It'll be five years in April. Just about five years, and you are now out. And I am happy you're here, but it's unfortunate that you're here. And, uh, you know, I know you're going to help a lot of people. So thank you for being here. I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Mallory, the floor is now yours. Thank you very much. Um, again, um, I am 49 years old, just so everybody knows. And um, I have two children from a previous marriage that are growing. And uh, I'm going to kind of start off kind of going through my childhood. Um, my parents divorced when I was three, and my mom remarried with, as soon as she was divorced. My mom um, was always somebody that needed to have a man in her life, so she remarried right away, and my stepdad raised me. And my mom, looking back now and through counseling, I realized she was narcissistic. I can remember being six years old and my mom getting mad at me because I didn't tell her her favorite show had come back from a commercial on the TV and her slamming her door and not speaking to me for a week at six years old. And I would leave her notes under her door telling her I was sorry and just trying to fix the situation. And then when she was done being mad, that was it. 
we didn't discuss it again. So I learned at a very young age how to be a fixer, how to keep the peace, how to make sure everything was in its, in its place. Um, later on as an adult, I got married very young the first time. I got married at 16 years old because I wanted to get away from the environment that I was in at home. So I had a boyfriend, and he was 18, and we got married. It didn't last very long, and we, we, we split up. It probably lasted about six months. But he was very controlling. Um, he cheated on me, and I couldn't understand, you know, why. You know, I was a good wife, a good girlfriend. And so I instantly, as soon as we had split up, started looking around for somebody else. By then, I was probably, I was 19, and that's when I met my first, well, I call him, I guess it would be my second husband, um, but he's the father of my kids. Um, him and I were married for 18 years. I was with him for 22 years. He was an alcoholic. Um, he was controlling, but not in a domineering way. Just, you know, he expected the house to be clean when he got home, although there's nothing wrong with that. It was if the house wasn't clean, the, the wrath was going to come down. So, again, I always try to keep the peace and make sure everything was in its place, the kids behaved, all of that. And um, so after I, when I hit 40, so, again, I'm 49. So when I hit 40 years old, I looked around at my life, and I thought, this is it. This is the way my life is going to be. It's not ever going to change. I'm going to live in the same house. I'm going to, you know, be making the same dinners going to the same places, and I don't want that. So at that time, I went to counseling and started talking to a counselor about it and realizing that I needed to start making a plan. So I went out at 40, and I found a job in an office, and I started working, you know, full-time, 40 hours a week. He did not like that. Um, you know, he would accuse me of, I would get home late. He would accuse me that I was, I was meeting somebody, which I wasn't. Um, he just started getting very paranoid. I found out later that he was doing drugs, but I didn't see that at the time. So I left. Um, I left a, a few years later. It was two years later after I started going to the counselor that told me to start getting all my ducks in a row, and I left the marriage. And at that time, my son was 18, and my daughter was almost 15. And I took my daughter, and I left, and I didn't look back. Got a place. We were doing good. I had this good job. I started traveling for work. Like, everything was really good. Got my daughter through the rest of her high school years. And then um, off to college, she went. And then uh, probably about six months after I had left him, I started dating somebody else. I started dating, actually, the husband number one when I was 16, um, who, of course, was just as charming as he was back then. And I thought, well, he's older now, so I'm sure he's changed. Um, but he didn't. And so I actually dated him for two years. Um, he lived five hours from me, and I would drive every other weekend to spend the weekend with him. And then I realized, same thing, nothing's going to change, and this is not what I want in my life. I want somebody that's going to travel with me. I want somebody who, you know, doesn't want to just be home all the time and in a bubble. So I broke it off with him. And when I broke it off with him, that's when I found out that my mom um, was diagnosed with cancer and she had six months to live. So I spent the next six months taking care of my mom and spending a lot of time with her. 
um, and talking to her and asking questions. And I, I told her, I said, you know, I just want to find somebody. I just, I want somebody who's my best friend. I want somebody who will, you know, go on vacations with me that, you know, is, is more of a free spirit you know, and, and won't just be in a bubble. So after my mom passed away in January of 2016, that April is when I met my ex who this is what this call is about. So so before we get into that, I have a few questions for you. So, okay. uh, you know, we're, everything that happened previous to this, you are a fixer. You like to keep the peace. You let things slide. Is, it's, is it fair to say you let things slide a lot to keep the peace? Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I, I cannot handle confrontation. Mm-hmm. Confrontation makes me, my mind literally goes to mush. I, it goes blank. I can't think. I can't come up with a response, and I instantly start um, almost just feeling hot inside, like I'm going to have a panic attack, and I think, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? Um, I, I, it's like a, being a, a deer in the headlight for me. And you are, are you a perfectionist of any sort? No, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist. I just want to keep the peace. Okay. And with your mom passing away, I just want to ask you questions like how, you know, that was obviously uh, a devastating experience, but also you you had the interesting, uh, not interesting, but you had a troubled relationship with your mom. So how did that affect you, uh, you know, at at the end there before you started this relationship? And uh, when she passed away, was there a grieving process of not having the mother that you always wanted? Um, yeah, I think there was always a grieving process because even after I had my kids, um, I remember having my son and my mom saying, well, it's not going to be me and you anymore. And I said, but you have a grandson, like how exciting is this? And I, I, I just assumed my mom would have, would be there to help me learn how to change diapers and feed the baby. And she wasn't, um, she, she, she never took the kids on a weekend, you know, like grandparents in my mind should do. Um, so that always bothered me that I never felt like she was there for me the way a mom should be there for their daughter, you know, and help me through life. You know, my mom, even as an adult, my mom would get mad at me and ignore me. Um, even when she was dying, she would get mad at me, um, and, and, you know, try be ignoring me, even though she wanted me there, it was difficult. And I have no siblings. I'm an only child. So it was just, you know, me and my mom. And as far as your self-esteem and self-worth, did you have a self-esteem and self-worth coming into this relationship? Yes. I felt when I came into the, the relationship with my the ex that we're going to be talking about, um, I, I felt like I was in a, a good place. I, I, was pay, I had a place that I rented. I, my daughter was in college. I, I paid to get her through college. My goal was for her to graduate um, debt-free. Like, I felt like I was in a really good place. I had a, 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 a friends that I'm still very close to, um, that I had a good support system. I loved the freedom of being able to do what I want, when I want, without somebody questioning why I was doing what I was doing, even if it was just something as simple as going to lunch or dinner with a friend. So I, I felt like I was in a really good place. But at the same time, Friday night would come, and I'd go home from working all week, and I'd be by myself, and it was lonely. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to, you know, die alone. I don't want to be alone. There's got to be somebody out there for me. 
and that is when you found your ex. So I'm going to get out of my my way here, your way here, and continue. Yeah, so I uh, I had met a lady in one of my traveling trips for work. I had gone into this little store um, when I was traveling, and I met this lady, and I said, and she was in this tiny little town in Northern California, and I said, you know, how did you wind up here? And she was, why well, I met my soulmate. I said, you did? And she goes, yes. She goes, it's amazing. I met him online, and, you know, it, it changed my life. And so I moved here for him, and my life has been great. And she goes, I went on to this website called eHarmony, and I said, oh, I I don't want anything to do with online dating. And she goes, no, you've got to do it. I'm telling you, it works. So I went home and I thought about it for a couple of weeks. And I thought, you know, what's, what's the worst that can happen? You know, if I, if I don't, I don't have to go out on dates. And I've never been anybody that dated in my entire life. So that was all strange to me. And so I went on eHarmony and made a profile and, you know, chatted with a couple of people, but nothing. And, uh, it was literally the first week of being on the site, and uh, that's when my ex uh, popped up on there. And uh, so we kind of went back and forth with the questions, and then he said, you know, this is, you know, I, I hate this, you know, just going back and forth with these questions, you know, can, you, can we email or I can text you? And so um, he gave me his email address, and so we started texting, um, you know, via, e- via email on the eHarmony site. And the conversation just flowed. Um, you know, he would ask me questions. I'd ask him questions. And it, it was like just talking to somebody I had known. But yet we hadn't even talked yet. We were just, you know, texting. And so later that day, he said, you know, would it be all right if I called you? And so I gave him my phone number and he called me. And it was literally like talking to somebody that I had known my entire life. The conversation flowed um, so smoothly uh, we had all of the same interests, or so I thought at the time, um, that, you know, he would, you know, ask me what I'd like to do. I said, I'd like to, you know, go boating. So then we started talking about boat. Turned out my my dream boat was his dream boat. And it's like, no way. Like, we had all of this stuff in common. And so I told him, I said, look, I said, I'm looking for amazing, and I'm not going to settle for anything less. I'll tell you that right now. And if I go, I told him, I said, you know, if you turn out to be some weirdo, I'm just going to block you. Like I was very like confident then. Like I was confident. I knew what I wanted. I knew what I didn't want. And I knew what I would tolerate and what I wouldn't. So I was very upfront with him. So looking back now, I think that was a total challenge for him. Um, So the next day I had gone to dinner with some friends and he had, sent me a text message and he wanted to come see me. And I, I go, I wasn't sure. And he goes, please. He goes, I just, I have to meet you. I have to know. So against my better judgment, something I've never done before. I gave him my address and I would not recommend anybody doing this. Um, and I gave him my address. And so I lived about 45 minutes from this town that he lives in. And so he came drove to my house. Uh, my son at the time was 22 and he was living with me and he was at home. And so I told him what I was doing so that, and he knew exactly where I was going. So uh, my ex came, he picked me up and you know, I got in his car and we went down the street to a restaurant and we sat there till the place closed down, just talking. 
And again, it was like talking to somebody that I, I knew. It was like, it, it was the weirdest thing. Um, he had a glass of wine and we just sat there and talked to the restaurant closed. He took me back home and he walked me up to my door and he leaned in to kiss me. And when he did, our hands touched and I had this jolt of, of like electricity that literally went from the, the top of my head to my toes. I've never experienced anything like that before. And I kind of, I was very taken back by it. And so he left and I went inside and I remember shutting the door and thinking, what the heck was that? Like, that's, that's so odd. Well, a couple of days later, he tells me, you know, I've never felt anything like that before when I, when I kissed somebody. He goes, it was just like an electric shock. And I said, you felt that too? And he goes, yes. Well, his mom had died as well. His mom had died when he was 22 from suicide. So he tells me, he goes, I think that our moms met in heaven and they knew that we've had bad luck in relationships and so they worked to bring us together. Well, my mom had just died a few months ago, knew what I was looking for. So at the time, you know, it made sense. You know, it probably sounds crazy right now saying it out loud, but it made perfect sense to me. Um, it doesn't sound crazy. Uh, and just to kind of point out here, you've been mirrored. You uh, were on a website for dating that is known probably as the most trusted website for dating for people who are actually looking for healthy, proper relationships that on the internet, uh, number two and three, this line is pulled and that is a, um, you know, a magical line, especially for you right here. I mean, it hits you in every single spot that could try and break down your barrier as far as love bombing goes. I mean, that's a, a really big one. So, you know, it doesn't sound crazy to me. It just, you know, he, he pulled, <laughs> he, he pulled out a line and it just happened to be for you most likely the most perfect line that could be pulled. Oh, absolutely. And that he went on to tell me that he had been looking for me his entire life and he was about to give up because he thought that I didn't exist. And so. So, so at this time, when he, when he says that, like, are you feeling not just like this is too good to be true, like this is amazing, but like you're feeling maybe like very special for the first time in possibly your whole entire life? Yes, a little bit of both. I mean, I was feeling special. I was also skeptical. I was a little bit skeptical, but I was like, this, the, the, I go back to the kiss. I've never felt that before. There ha- that had to have been some, side of, some sort of a sign is what I was thinking at the time. And so, and again, the conversation just flowed and it, it was just, it was, he was just so easy to talk to. So easy to talk to. Very, very charming. And so after the night after the kiss, the next day, he asked if he could come over. And so I said yes, and he came over, and I let him in, and he, he, he almost had a bounce to his step. He came in, he picked me up, he twirled me around, gave me a, a big old hug, and he goes, it's so good to see you. And he's like, what do you want to do? We can go to the movies, we can go to dinner, we can go play miniature golf, we can go bowl. Like, he named off all kinds of, all kinds of things, and I, I, which, you know, my, my ex-husband, my, my kid's father, we didn't do anything. So I was like, this is so refreshing. And so I said, you know what? Let's just hang out here and let's just talk and get to know each other. 
So that's what we did. We sat on the couch and we talked. He told me about his job and, and so forth. And we just talked and conversation was great. And, you know, a few hours later, he got going and, and he went on home. Um, every day, he, he would text me. So that was on a Saturday. Remember, I just met him on Friday night. So he came over Saturday. Sunday, he has, he has a daughter. And he has his daughter on Sunday. So that was, he told me, Sunday's family day. And that's when the entire family gets together every Sunday and has dinner. And I, to me, coming from just my mom and no siblings, that was just like, wow. Like, how cool is that? That family bond, that family unit. Like, that's so cool. And I just, I, I, I really thought that was great. So then he texted me and he said, here's my address. I think it's only fair you have my address because I have yours. And I want you to know my dad's a sheriff. My, you know, cousin, you know, is a, works for the fire department. You know, all of my family, you know, you know, is very well established in the community and, and, and just painted a picture of this really good, solid family, which again, coming from not having a family really appealed to me. So then that Tuesday, he asked if he could take me to lunch. So he came to my work and he picked me up and he was, you know, in slacks and a button up, you know, nice collared shirt and dress shoes on. I came walking out of my office building and he jumped out of his truck, opened the door for me and sitting in the truck were some flowers. We went to lunch and we got out of the tr- his truck to go to lunch. He just grabbed my hand and he held it just with, with such, um, I mean, I guess looking back was probably control, but it was just, to me, it just felt like just so special. Like he just, he was just hanging on to me, like almost being a protector, right? Just hanging, just hang, hold up, hanging onto my hand tight. I got home that night and uh, flowers were delivered to my house. And my son was like, who is this guy? I'm like, I don't know. Like, this is crazy. Like I just met him and I've gotten flowers twice in one day and somebody took me to lunch and this is bizarre but this is so cool like I was still I was on cloud nine so then a few days later um he um asked me to come to his house so I went to his house for the first time and I walked in and uh on the table was a card and he gave me this cute little card and in it just said you know this this has been great I'm so glad I met you you know you know thank you for for saying yes to meeting me and so we uh we we just hung out and we talked and then I was kind of thinking and again not dating I didn't really know what the protocol was but I was thinking well I wonder if I should have sex with him because I need to make sure he's perfect seems like in every other way I better make sure that we're compatible in all ways and you know friends had told me oh you should wait you know a few months six months whatnot and I thought well so one thing led to another and uh, we ended up back in his bedroom, and he had an issue, and he wasn't able to perform. And he got he he started kind of shaking, almost having a panic attack, and he almost looked like he was going to start crying. And so I and I just felt you know so bad, and I so I told him I'm like it's okay, like you know it's fine. I don't want a relationship based on sex anyways. Like it's okay, you know. Don't feel bad. You know, it's fine. And instantly I went into my fix-it mode, right? Just to try to ease the situation. Like, it's all good. Don't worry about it. If this is meant to be, we have our whole lives for that. Like, it's good. So then he took me to dinner after that. And we sat there eating dinner. We sat next to each other. And 
when we were done eating, he just sat there and just held my hand, just looking into my eyes. And he told me about his daughter and that his daughter had a lot of issues because her mother had cheated on him and she was a drunk and he has no idea all that goes on in that house, but it's just really bad. And it's just, it's so hard on him. So whoever he does end up with, he needs to make sure that they're, they're aware of that situation, you know, because his daughter really is going to need a lot of support. So again, you know, I felt very empathetic, you know, so a couple of days later, he, I went to his home and he wanted to go to the bookstore and he wanted to buy the book, The Five Languages of Love and read it with me. And then he wanted me to take a um, compatibility test. So I took the compatibility test and I don't know how it happened, but our answers were 100% the same. So I, I, I don't know how I really... Still to this day, I don't know how that happened because it just seems very bizarre, but they were exactly the same. So then I was starting going, this is going too fast. It's only been, you know, barely two weeks and this is moving really quick. He would tell me, you know, I can see myself falling in love with you. Again, he told me that I was looking for you. I didn't think you existed. You know, um, he told me he would take care of me. He goes, you know, I had, going back to my mom when she passed away, um, I, ha- I had her house. And I wasn't living in it at the time because it needed to be remodeled. And um, so I was still renting a place. And so he told me, he goes, I've built houses. I know how to do that. I'll help you with your mom's house. He goes, I'll help you, you know, get your daughter through college. Like, you won't have to worry about that. And so, you know, I was just trying to take it all in. But it was a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, this is this is two weeks right here. And mm-hmm. it's an overwhelming love bombing from flowers to, you know, offering to pay for daughter's uh, schooling, building the house. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, he was very comfortable around you very quickly as if you guys knew each other for a very long time. He plays the victim when it comes to his ex-wife to get him on... Uh, to get you on his side, who knows if the thing with his uh, performance in the bedroom was real or not, but whatever that was or was not, plus the love languages, which could have been a fluke, uh, adds on top of that. I mean, that's boom, 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 boom. You're just being bounced from one amazing thing to the other amazing thing. You're playing protector in one sort of way or, or fixer, which is a very common uh, feeling that you've had, so it's not something foreign to foreign to you, and you know that's a big two week opening right there, and it's hard not to, uh, you know, at this point feel like even at two weeks it could be hook line and sinker. But you, you know, are you still skeptical? Skeptical? Skeptical at this point? Yes, absolutely. Because I kept thinking, you know, it's too good to be true. Like, this is too good to be true, but I couldn't see any signs that made me question it. But, um, but deep down, you had a feeling there was something. I just, I couldn't believe that this, something amazing like this was happening. Okay. But there was, I, at the time, I didn't see the flags, but I'll, I'll, I, now looking back, I see what the flags were. Um, I mean, I can remember one time he came to my house. And this is this is in that within the first few weeks he came to my house and my son was there and some of his friends and so we played all played a card game together, 
And my ex would just be, he just would be staring at me. So I would get uncomfortable and I would look away and I'd look back and he was still staring at me. And I just, in my mind, I, it made me uncomfortable, but I thought it was because he couldn't believe he had found me and I was just so amazing. Um, but really now I know, understand that he was studying me so that he could mirror me. He was trying to figure out what made me tick, how I reacted to things, my personality, like all of that, because I would tell my friends, like, I just found the male version of me. Like, he's me. We think alike. We like the same things. We, you, everything is in common. So, you know, we loosely base, we loosely say that, you know, what the definition of narcissism is before this podcast begins in the intro before our interview starts. And the person you're dealing with is on a higher spectrum here who is not reactionary but knows exactly what they're doing. And if we had to make a guess right now based upon that statement, I would, you know, we would probably say he's maybe somewhere in the sociopath range. That is correct. And I've been in counseling for a year and that is absolutely 100% correct. Yeah. Um, Even my counselor has said that he's like, the best of the best. I've read books and the books that I've read, I go, oh my, it's like he went to school for this. It's, it's, it's yeah, it, it's mind boggling. There's days where it's been hard for me to even wrap my mind about around what has happened and that none of it was real. It was just, I was a target from the beginning. So anyway, so then I remember going through all that and I remember one night, um, it was probably within a, a few weeks, he was at my house and he had spent the night. And by then everything was, was working fine. And, um, and so we're laying in bed one night and he started talking to me, to me about my 401k. And he goes, well, you know, I think you'll probably be moved in with me by the end of the summer. And he goes, if things do work out between us, you're going to need to up your 401k to the max, you know, because you just started your 401k and you need to start, you need to get it built up. And so I said, well, I can't do that because I wouldn't have enough money to pay my bills. Um, I said, you know, if I have all this money taken out of my checks and I couldn't do that. Well, he got very angry with me and he said, he goes, you are just like my ex-wife. Um, you know, all she cared about was money. And I said, well, I'm just trying to make sure that I have enough money in my paychecks to be able to pay my bills before I'm worrying about my 401k. Like, what's the big deal about this? So we went to sleep and he was sort of ignoring me, but he went to sleep. And the next morning he got up and he left without even saying goodbye. That was when I should never have spoken to him again. I never should have opened the door to him again. I should have been done right then and there. But I thought, this is crazy. Like everything's been so wonderful up until now. What a silly disagreement. And so I called him and he was very argumentative with me on the phone. And I said, look, just come over when you get off work, just come over. So when he came over, I sat him down and I said, look, I said, I've, I've struggled with money. I'm a single parent now. I've got bills to pay. And so I'm not used to thinking as a team because I, and we're not even there yet as a team. And I said, but should we, that we become that, then we'll discuss it at that time. But right now there's no, nothing to be worried about. And, you know, and I'm sorry, you know, if what I said upset you, he never apologized. He, that was it. And we never talked about it again. 
So then, <clears throat> by then, let's see, uh, my daughter, again, was in, was in uh, college, and she, it was time for her to come back home and move out of the dorms. And um, I was working in Vegas uh, at a, at a, uh, for a work event. And uh, so he said, I'll be happy to help you move her back. So he drove all the way out to Las Vegas, and he, uh, he met me there. And then he uh, drove, we drove together, and we went, and we got my daughter all packed up. And I remember helping her pack, and I left my ex at the hotel. My daughter said, can you come help me pack, but can you just please, Mom, can you just come by yourself? Because she had just met him. So I asked him, I said, yeah, I'm going to go help her pack. Are you okay for a little while by yourself? And he said, yeah. So when I got back at the hotel, some of the other moms were also staying in the, the hotel, and they were all having a glass of wine. So I was having a glass of wine with them, and I texted him. And I said, hey, why don't you come down? We're back now. Come have a glass of wine with us. And he goes, no, it's fine. He goes, I'm already in bed. I'll, I'll, good night. I said, what? I just come on down. So he came, he ended up coming down, but it was my first weird vibe was that experience that when I thought like, this is weird. Like you could tell he didn't want to be there, but yet he was there, you know, and he was putting on a, a happy face about it. And then we never discussed it again. He never said anything to me, you know, that it bothered him, like nothing was said. So then uh, we were driving back. Um, you know, home and uh, to my, to my house. I was, I had not moved in with him yet. And on the drive back, he took my hand in the, in the car and he goes, listen, he goes, I've got to tell you something. And I go, and so I'm like, well, what? And he goes, well, you know, before I met you, I was engaged. And I said, okay. And he goes, um, it didn't last very long. He goes, I think I was just trying, I was, I wanted to find somebody so bad that I thought I did, but when I realized, you know, she just wasn't the one for me, you know, I, I, I broke it off with her and it only lasted about six months. And uh, he was, it was nothing like what I have with you, but I just feel that's something that you should know. So I just said, okay, you know, thank you for telling me. So then he would, you know, wow me with trips. He would take me to five-star hotels for the weekend, you know, and pay for everything. He, he came to the beach with me and my daughter and he, you know, just Mr. Wonderful paying for dinners and, you know, would sit on the beach with us, you know, on the beach chairs and everything was good. Um, my daughter and I were drinking some wine. He seemed fine with it. Um, <clears throat> but then um, I had a friend tell me, she goes, look, she goes, you really need to um, Google guys who move too fast. She goes, um, she goes, um, you need to Google it. She goes, because the, that's, that's not a good thing if a guy moves fast. And so I remember Googling it, but like nothing really came up. If I would have Googled like something about, you know, narcissism or, or mirroring, love bombing, then I probably would have understood it. But I just thought, well, this guy is, I'm living a fairy tale right now. Like this is everything I ever thought I wanted. Like he opens doors for me. He helps, you know, holds my hand all the time. He's just there for me. He's just all about me. So I just kind of let that go. Um, and again, I, would, I told all my friends, I go, he's the male version of me, you know. Um, so we ended up moving in. My daughter and I ended up moving in um, the, in June. So I met him in April, and in June we moved in. And the very first night that we moved in, my daughter wanted to go get something to eat. And so she asked me if she could use my car because her car was low on gas. And so he right away, he goes, oh, just take my truck. It's fine. And she's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, no problem. It's totally fine. So she takes his truck. Next thing you know, 
she call, she's texting me and she's in, she's in tears. She's calling me and she goes, mom, I don't know what to do. I just wrecked this truck. I said, what? <laughs> and I, we, we hadn't even spent our first night there. And she had gone to a drive through and she hit a pole and she just completely dented in the whole truck. So I was like, I go, you just need to come home. We'll figure it out. And so I got on the phone and I told him, I said, look, I need to tell you something. And he goes, that's okay. He goes, is she okay? He goes, that's a truck. I can buy another one as long as she's okay. I couldn't believe it because her dad never would have acted like that. And so she came back to the house. She's hysterical. She's crying. She felt horrible. And he, he's like, no, it's fine. As long as you're okay, I don't care about the truck. And so, I mean, that sealed the deal for me right then and there. I thought, wow, this guy is amazing. He's treating my daughter amazing. But I just, I just found the great guy. And then for my daughter's 19th birthday, he, he was able to get her into, um, it's called Club 33. It's at Disneyland. It's a private club. So he took uh, my daughter, my son, and, uh, and a few, some of her friends and, uh, to the special club for her birthday and uh, paid for everything. And Emil made her birthday just fantastic. And I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I really felt that I found my soulmate. Uh, hook, line, and sinker. Everything that's going on with you is one thing. But once he is shown compassion to your daughter, is treating them in the exact opposite way as your ex would, everything right here, the, the, the deal has been sealed for you. You are 100% on board now going forward. Absolutely. 100% on board. And, um, by then the sex was amazing. Um, he would still pick me up for lunch and then we would, you know, make out in his truck on a couple of teenagers. I mean, it was, it was just, it was a fairy tale. And so that first part of the year, he then helped me remodel my mom's home. And every weekend we would, we would go to my mom's, my mom's house and, you know, we would work on it. We 12 hour days, you know, just working on it and everything was great. Um, my, my mom's best friend, who I'm just going to call her my second mom, I'm very, very close to her, and she's like a mom to me. She came to visit, and she had not met him before, and he was very cold to her, and he didn't even stop what he was doing to say hello or shake her hand, and it made her very uncomfortable, and I think I probably should have known then that that was a sign that maybe he didn't want people around me in my life. Um you know, because eventually my friends all got isolated from me as well. And, but I didn't see what was happening. I, you know, I didn't pick up on any of those red flags. Um, I mean, the first time when he got mad at me a month into dating about the 401k, I just pushed that aside because other than that, he was charming, he was kind, and he was sensitive. Um, he came across as a very happy, go lucky, nerdy guy who just always just got the short end of the stick. And, and that's how he presented himself. Like, you made, you made me feel sorry for him. <clears throat> and so, um, let's see. <sighs> After moving in with him my, is when my first real silent treatment happened. He said he had a business dinner um, at the end of the week. And so I had reached out to my son to see if he was available to meet me for dinner. And so I had mentioned to my ex that I was going to be having dinner with my son. And he... He said, come here. And he snapped his fingers and he pointed to the floor like you would do to, you know, your dog, right? You know, get over here. Look at what you've done. Um, snapped his fingers, pointed to the floor and said, get over here. 
And I go, I go, what? He goes, I need to talk to you. He goes, um, I cannot believe he goes, you would be so selfish and not include me and invite me to have dinner with your son. He goes, you know, you just do whatever you want and you just leave me out and exclude me. And that's wrong that you're doing that. And he goes, and you're just like my ex-wife. And I was just so taken back by it. And I just remember looking at him again, feeling that deer in the headlight feeling where my mind goes to mush and just saying, I'm so sorry. Like I, I had no idea. And I started explaining myself, you know, you had a dinner, I made plans. I wasn't trying to exclude you. I I'm so sorry. And so, yeah, so he ignored me, I think, at that time, probably for a day or two. And that was the first time for the silent treatment. And that's how he would always punish me going forward, which was the silent treatment. Um, but that was, that was it. So that happened, you know, probably July, August. And after I had moved in, and then that's it. Uh, I didn't have any more silent treatment. So I thought that was just a, a one, one-time thing that happened, that he was just, his feelings were hurt because he's just such a sensitive you know, guy, and he just wants to be included and made to be, you know, feel needed and helpful. So uh, I moved in, like I said, in June. So Christmas morning that year, um, he gave me my stocking, and at the bottom of my stocking was this beautiful ring, and he proposed to me. He had tears in his eyes when he proposed. Um, I said yes, and I, I couldn't believe it. And I remember showing his daughter the ring and I'm telling her, guess what? You know, we're engaged. And she goes, oh, yeah, I've already seen that ring. I was with my dad when he picked it up, you know, but I thought that's weird. He didn't tell me that she was there, but okay, you know, and I just kind of pushed that to the side. I didn't think of it as a red flag at the time, Um, but I was just so thrilled. I couldn't believe it. Um, he would get a season ticket to go to like the local fair. We would go to concerts. Um, But then the music would come on at a concert. He would just sit there. He wouldn't stand up. He wouldn't, you know, dance around. He wouldn't interact, but he wanted to go to these concerts and I want to dance and have some fun, but he didn't, he would just sit there. And I remember thinking that was kind of odd as well, but yet we had fun, you know, walking around, seeing everything, Um, you know, and then, you know, he would, start joking, but he would act innocent about jokes. So then we, we got married one year later to, after the date we met, we got married exactly one year later. Um, and that night after we got married, it was time for bed. He wanted just to go to sleep and he didn't want to have any, you know, wedding night set, which was kind of, I thought that was odd. So once we got married, that's when everything changed. And, um, and how long the, was it here until you got married? How long into your relationship is it? One year. Okay, one year. Okay. So I, I was with him for, I met him, and then one year to the date, I married him. And once I married him, that's when, yeah, that's when everything really started getting odd. Um, in, uh, I remember a couple months after we got married, um, we were on our way to go on a, a weekend getaway somewhere. And on the way there, um, we were, we need to get something to eat and we were towing a big trailer. And so he goes, you need to find a place for us to eat. So I thought, I said, Oh, well, there's this, you know, fast food restaurant coming up at this exit. And he got off and he goes, well, there's no place for me to park. He goes, don't you know how to use a map? Don't you know how to look at it? Know where to park? And he starts yelling at me. And then he tells me, he goes, well, I hope you don't think you're getting any French fries. He goes, because you don't need that. And I just, and so I was really upset about that. And, you know, and I'm not, I'm a, I'm a petite person. 
Um, but I did gain weight after I met him, not a lot, but I did gain a little bit. And, um, and so he would tell me, yeah, you, you, you can't be eating that cause you don't need them. Um, not too long later, he had his email open and I saw an email from eHarmony. And so that bothered me. And so I questioned him about it and he said, oh, well, I paid for a year subscription. He goes, but I'm not on it. He goes, it's just that I paid for a year. Um, so he said, you know, come here, I'm just going to delete it off of here. I, I want you to feel comfortable. I, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with that website. And so he did, he got his, his, his computer and I watched him delete it. So then I started kind of thinking about things. And so one day, this is right at not too long, by about four months after I moved in, I'm kind of going back a little bit, but, um, I saw his face, he had a Facebook page and I started scrolling through it and I saw pictures of him with other girls. And so I questioned him about it. He goes, Oh, I don't even know how those got on there. I don't even know how to use, how to use Facebook, but you know what? I'll delete it because you know, that's it done. And so then he, he deleted it. So then the controlling things um, started out with little things. Um, I didn't know that he was gaslighting me. Um, he would come up to me and he would say, he would come up to me and he would put his hands around my chin and he'd be like, hang on, let me look at you. You know, let me look at that. And I'm like, what, is there something there? And he'd say, gosh, when was the last time you went to the dentist? Um, your teeth, you know, look horrible. And they don't. And then he would tell me things like I would go to bed at night and he would say, oh my gosh, your breath is absolutely horrible. You know, do you ever brush your teeth? And I would say, well, I just brushed my teeth right before I got into bed. He was like, yeah, well, I think that you need to do it again. And so that kind of just, those type of things just kept happening like more and more and more, all kinds of just little things like that. And it was all the time telling me I had something in my teeth, but there wasn't. One time he came up to me and he started patting me on the back of my head and he would raise his eyebrows like just in shock. And he's like, wow, like you have a bald spot back there. And I know I don't. And he goes, you know, he raised his hand, his eyebrows up and say, you know, uh, yes, you do. But I don't. Um, and so it just really, even though I knew this stuff wasn't true, it was just starting to really mess with my head. Um, because I never knew when he was serious and when he was joking, because of, when he would say these things, it was almost like he was joking, but he was serious at the same time. And, and with and, these things that are specifically about the way you look, your hair, your teeth, your breath, is he trying right here to establish a low self worth for you in the sense of, uh, you can't do better than me who would want you type uh, thing further down the road? Um, possibly. I mean, that could be it. I don't think he think, thought that I would ever leave. Okay. Um, he, and, you know, I, I don't think he thought I would leave, and I thought like, he was just starting to just yeah, do these controlling things. He would start complaining to me about my job. And by then I had gotten a different job, um, and I got a job with a company that is um, – like everybody knows the, the company that I work for. I'm not going to say it, but yeah, you would know it'd be like if I, you know, you were to say Amazon, right? Everybody knows it. And so I, I worked really hard to get the job that I have now. And I was so proud of myself. It was a huge accomplishment because the company that's really hard to get into. And I got into it and I, I worked very hard for the first year so that I could get a promotion into the, the, the role that I really wanted. And I, I did it. 
And uh, as I was going through the interview process for the new role, I didn't tell him because I didn't want to hear him be judgmental to me or tell me that that was dumb. I mean, he, when I got my offer letter, that's when I finally told him, look, you know, I've been going through this interview process. I got it, you know, and he, and he saw the offer letter and he goes, well, I guess if you're happy with, with that amount of money, you're the one that has to work there. But then going forward for the rest of the time, up until I left, he would tell me what a horrible company it is, that my company is a piece of shit, that, you know, you, you're, he would look something up and be like, oh, look what your, you know, food up company did today. You know, none of it was true. Um, I remember one time I wanted to go get a new iPhone and he was furious that I wouldn't get an Android. And then he would sit there and he'd say, you know, what a screwed up company Apple is. I don't know why you want an Apple. Um, you know, I can remember it, it would just go on and on. Um, so, so very, so very quickly here, uh, you were married, you were living with him and all of a sudden the person that you knew going into this marriage does not exist anymore. He is gaslighting you about everything. He is nitpicking you, and it seems like he's nitpicking everything. If you went to work for X company, he'd say, oh, you should work for Y company. If you bought this, oh, you should have bought this. It didn't matter what it was going to be. He was always going to be judgmental for whatever that is. He's come up with a couple excuses here already about Facebook and, and women on there. I don't know what happens later on in the story with it, but everything he can nitpick about, he is. He's giving you the silent treatment, and you did in that one moment when you said earlier that you didn't tell him about uh, even applying for the promotion. You were gray rocking before you didn't even knew what gray rocking was because you knew you had to protect yourself in that situation. And this is still early on in the relationship. Uh, so, yeah, you know, so a lot, the first year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot was, is, is, mm-hmm. has happened and the transformation into, uh, where you are now at the marriage, you know, you have a completely polar opposite, um, a person with you right now who you, I don't know if you're questioning, like, who is this person? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't understand. I couldn't, I didn't understand what was happening. Um, and then he would start making comments to me and he would tell me, you were just a slutty little bitch before I pulled you out of the gutter. Um, he told me that multiple times. And then after marriage, the sex completely stopped and I didn't know what to do. And I thought, I don't want to be in a relationship, you know, without that aspect of it. And, um, and so I, uh, you know, I just kept it to myself. And so I just kept, would try, I would try to initiate you know, which was difficult for me. Um, but he, yeah, he would, he, yeah, he, he would act like he didn't even know what, what I was asking for. Were you, um, were you voicing to other people at this time? Things have changed. Yet. Okay. Okay. No, not yet. I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I went to everybody with this amazing guy. I'm living this fairy tale life. And now I'm going to say, Oh, well, he told me I have bad breath and my teeth are dirty. Like, that's not going to, that's not a reason to leave the marriage, you know, but because it was happening and everything was getting worse and it was starting to escalate. So then what really the big turning point was my daughter then came home for a visit um, for Christmas from college. And that's when I started realizing he had a problem with my daughter. So the same girl who wrecked his truck and that he helped move from college 
he all of a sudden he didn't like her. But he didn't come out and say he didn't like her. Instead, he would blame me. He would tell me that I was a horrible mom. I can't believe, you know, you you allow her to drink in college. And I say, it's her life. These are her choices. She's made the dean's list. I'm not, I'm, she's an adult, you know? And, uh, and so he would tell me things like, um, you're, you're, you just want her to be your friend. You need to be a mom to her. You let her do whatever she wants. If she doesn't get her way, she throws a fit. And, and he just kept on me about her and on me about her. But yeah, at the same time, my daughter's doing great. And she had no idea any of this was going on. She thought that my ex liked her. She had no idea. And she still to this day doesn't know everything. That, that he said about her and it just kept getting worse and worse. Now my, I have a son as well. And so I'll bring him into the story. So my son, my ex took a, a liking to, and he would help him and spend time with him. Uh, most recently my son bought a home and needed some remodeling work done. So my ex spent a lot of quality one-on-one time with him um, I'm not there, so I don't know what the conversations were. Um, but my son thinks that my ex, you know, is the greatest thing ever. And so, you know, I know my son's being manipulated as well, but he doesn't see it yet. And I'll get more into that. But I would say that looking back, um, the, everything just started. I can remember going and wanting to take a bath, and I would go in the bathroom and take a bubble bath. And he would come. He would barge into the bathroom. Well, what are you doing? Like I'm taking a bath. So after that, I would lock the door. So then he'd try to come in. And why are you locking the door? What are you doing in there? You know, you you doing you doing something you shouldn't be doing? I'm like, no. I just can I have 15 minutes to take a bath? And but then I would come out and he would act childlike. Um, he would act very hurt. And he would, he would almost just like a, like a little, a little kid when they do something wrong and they just kind of put their hands together in front of them, kind of fist together, their hand, you know, their head tilted to the side, kind of down, you know, like, I'm so sorry. And he goes, all I wanted to do was be with you. Like, I just love you. And everything was always, you know, lovey. It's like, oh, you know, he'd say, oh, lovey, like, I love you so much, but I don't think you love me anymore. And then I would say, well, why would you say something like that? Oh, because I disappoint you. I'm not there for you. So that's when I started noticing that I felt like maybe there was a few different personalities in there. Um, There was the personality where he was just super fun, the guy that I met. Then there was the childlike personality. And then there was the personality of very controlling, very mean, um, very manipulating. And... um, and so then, uh, let's see, my son would come out. We have, we have, I have a house. So my mom's house, after it was remodeled, I sold it. And I bought a house um, about four hours away from our other home. So we would go out there. And then he would start, my ex would start just saying, just starting to get very crude comments. Um, and I, yeah, I don't really want to say, I'll, I'll give you, I'll tell you what they are, but I'm going to say it in a polite way. But um, my son would come and, he would say, you know, oh, you know, he's in there. He's having, you know, sex with his girlfriend. You know, he's probably doing, and he would name sexual acts that were, were probably being done, that my son was probably doing or having done to him. And I'd say, I don't want to hear that. Like, that's my son. Why would you say that? And it was just disgusting. And he would even act things out um, with his hands and 
you know, of what was being done. And it was just, it was disgusting. And then he would say, well, you know, your son, he's just a mama's boy. And he would tell me, I would, he would tell me all the time, you need to cut the cord. And he would literally act like he was cutting a cord. You need to cut the cord with your kids. You need to let them be. You need to not speak to your daughter anymore until she grows up. He would tell me my daughter was lazy. All of this wasn't true. Um, you know, he would, um, he was very routine. He would get up at six o'clock in the morning, sometimes later, maybe if it was the weekend and I got up too. And there was no getting up, getting a cup of coffee, sitting on the couch. It's like, you get up, you brush your teeth, you take your shower, you get ready for your day and then you get your coffee. And, um, and if I didn't do that, you know, he thought that I was being lazy and he didn't like that. Um, and that, when, whole, and that uh, whole thing with your your kids there, and he, like he is trying to isolate you uh, from them, either you know cutting the cord and having them not in your life, or um, yeah. just putting just putting a wedge in between you guys, so maybe you do not talk about what is actually happening. Yeah, and so when. You asked if I had talked. I hadn't talked to anybody about it, and so um, a year, a year and a half before I left, I went to one of my good friends, and I went to her house on my lunch break from work, and I said, "I've got a problem." And she was like, "What?" And I said, "He doesn't want to have sex." She goes, "Well, that's a roommate situation. What do you? You can't live like that." And I said, "I know, but I don't know what to do." I, I she goes, "You've got to talk to him." So I went home and I tried talking to him. And at first, he was, you know, have, he was having a conversation with me and listening to me. And then he said, look, he goes, I, he goes, you told me that you didn't want a relationship based on sex. And, and I told you that I had no desire to have sex with you. And you were fine with that. And I said, you've never, we've never had that conversation. And I said, I don't want a relationship where that's always, I want the whole package, the way a relationship and a partnership is supposed to be. And, um. And I said, you know, can we meet halfway in the middle, you know, maybe one night a week? And he goes, why do I can't plan it? You know, we can't have it planned. I said, well, maybe in the evening. And he goes, no, evening's winding down time. I said, well, in the morning? He goes, no, because, you know, then I can't start my day off right. And, I mean, it was just one excuse after the other. So I finally got to the point where I gave up even asking because what was the point? Um, if I If it did happen when he was done, he would wipe off his hands, you know, um, like back and forth, like wiping off crumbs. And he'd say, okay, well, my job's done. And he'd walk in the bathroom, clean himself up and then leave the room. So there was, there was no, so the, and I point this out because in the beginning, the sex was absolutely amazing. And he was very attentive. We were very in sync. He spent time with me afterwards. Once we were married, the sex stopped and it became a, something he did not want to do, you know, at least with me. Um, I don't know. I still to this day don't know if he was his been with somebody else, but it wouldn't surprise me. But things started getting really crazy. So after I I spoke to my friend about the no sex and then had the conversation with him, um, he started just getting mad at me about all all kinds of item, all kinds of things. I went to the gym and I took a class, and the class got out a little bit later than it would normally get out. And when I got home, he started sniffing me. And he wanted to know if, if I had been with my boyfriend. 
Um, normally I wouldn't go to the gym by myself because he wouldn't ever allow me to do that. Wherever we went, he always went with me. So whether it was the grocery store, an errand, whatever it was, he, I was never by myself. We also combined finances. And once we did that, um, because I felt that we were married, so we should have our finances combined. But once that happened, I could not spend any money. And he would tell me, well, you, you have a house, you have a car, you, you buy clothes. You, what, what else do you, what do you need money for? Yeah, I don't know why you say you don't have any money, but I would go to Starbucks and then he would ask me, well, why did you go to Starbucks? What did you need for $10? And I, the turning point for me, the, where I really knew that I had to get out was I was driving my car and I had, I had to go to the bathroom really bad. I'd been stuck in traffic and I was trying to find a place to go to a find to go to the bathroom. And I saw this little restaurant, so I went turning into it, and I turned too quick, and I hit the curb, and I blew out my tire. I was like, my first instinct was, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I can't call him. He's going to get mad. So I took care of, I tried to take care of the tire myself. I called, you know, the the, the person to come tow the car and fix the tire. Um, and I remember sitting in my car thinking, this is not normal. I should not be scared to call my husband because of a flat tire. Well, needless to say, when he found out about the flat tire, it was a huge fight. He ended up having me take the car someplace else um, to get a, a tire put on it somewhere else. When I got home, he was furious. He was just yelling and screaming at me, telling me I have no common sense and what it, you know how dumb I am. And then he ignored me that time for like it was probably almost a week. So I ended up just sleeping in his daughter's room at that point. I was like, this is ridiculous. So I just slept in his daughter's room when she wasn't there, and I just kept ignoring him too. And then by then I had started counseling. And when I started going to counseling, I went to counseling because of the no sex. And when I started talking to my counselor and she started asking me questions, she goes, you're being gaslighted. And I looked at her and I said, what on earth does that mean? I had never heard of the term. Now I'm a pro at it. But back then, I hadn't heard of it. So then I didn't tell him I was in counseling. I just kept going secretly um, to counseling um, and having her help me. She had me start reading books, and I started seeing, oh, my goodness, I'm in a really serious situation here. Uh, What books did you start to read that made you see things uh, clearly? Um, Psychopath Free was an eye-opener for me. And then I also, I read one um, that my uh, counselor had recommended. It was called Healing from Hidden Abuse. Um, but they were both, they were really um, eye-opening books for me when I read them. So anyways, moving on, um, there were times where I would look at him and his facial expression would just change. It's almost like his eyes would go black. And again, I really feel like there was multiple personalities in there. Um, and I didn't recognize him it didn't even look to me like the same person when he was like that, when he was in a rage or when he was, you know, getting mad at me about something. But then he would turn around when he was done being mad and he would be like a, a, a be childlike. Um, one time uh, he, he was furious because my, again, my daughter, when it was my last Christmas at the house, and she came, was coming home for Christmas. And when she came home, it was literally, it was quick. You know, she's there for 48 hours. She's trying to also see some local friends. Like, it's quick. So I just take whatever time I can get with her. And uh, he was furious that he was going to be doing some plumbing. 
and it just screws up his plumbing. And he, it, the whole thing was just, it was awful. He was furious. She brought her boyfriend with her. Um, he was rude to the boyfriend. Uh, he was furious that we opened up Christmas presents, you know, at nine o'clock at night. And that, you know, I was conniving behind his back that I knew we were going to do that, but I didn't tell him. And so then she left. And by then my daughter knew, look, knew something was wrong. And she's like, I'm here for you, mom, you know, whatever you need. And so he was just ignoring me. And I, I think that time it was probably a good five days. Is right before Christmas. And when he was done, done being mad at me, I was taking a shower and he came and he pulled the shower curtain back and he just stood there. He just stood there while he was brushing his teeth, just staring at me. And I just, I looked at him and I'm like, you know, what? I said, what the fuck are you doing? Like you are being weird. What are you doing? And he didn't answer me. He just sat there and he just would just stare at me. It was the weirdest thing, but then he would act like everything was normal. Everything was fine because he was done, you know, being mad at me. So he'd, he'd go, he'd go in those kind of rage, uh, anger moments. And as soon, like in, then in, in a switch in an instant, he'd become that childlike person. And in a way be, it'd be like nothing happened before as if everything should be forgotten. Cause in his mind it was over and that's all that mattered. Yeah. He decided it was over. And so it was over. Um, so then, and this is going on to the last, probably, you know, I, the, the, I started going to counseling. My daughter came home at Christmas, you know, that, that happened. And then I started going to counseling and then my counselor says, you need to, you need to talk to your son. So I said, okay. So I went to my son's house and I said, I need to talk to you. And I said, there's some things going on. I don't really feel comfortable telling you what they all are, but there's something going on. And I'm thinking that things aren't going to work out between me and him. And I might leave. And so my son said, well, I really want you to try. He goes, you need to communicate. A relationship's about communicating. And you need to talk to him. And so I said, okay, I'll try. So I went home and I, I told him, I said, look, I, I really need to talk to you. And he just looked at me and he goes, about what now? And I said, look, I, you getting mad at me about the flat tire isn't okay. Um, there were times, uh, and I brought this up in the com- this conversation with him. I mean, at one time, he had, we had the sack and then afterwards, you know, he cleaned up real quick and that was it. And then he goes, boy, he goes, that was awful. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And, you know, he told me, he goes, well, you know, you, um, you still had poop on you and it was horrible and I could smell it the whole time. And again, a lie. And I said, no, why would you say something like that? What, what makes somebody think something like that up? And so then he would just look at me and say, yeah, well, am I, am I really making it up? You know, just to make me second guess myself, even though I knew the truth. So when I sat him down to try to talk to him, I brought that up as well. And I said, you know, like, why would you say something like that to me? You, you just made love to your wife and then you're going to say something like that. He got furious. He would never answer a question. Everything came back to me. And he said, he goes, well, apparently you don't know how to take a joke. That's fine. From here on, you know, forward. I'm going to be serious all the time with you. And I said, look, I said, my feelings are validated. They're my feelings and they need to be respected. You know, and I said, you know, this is a partnership here. So we need to figure out a way to, you know, to meet in the middle. And I'm just trying to talk to you. And I wasn't raising my voice. I was just trying to explain. And nope, I thought he ignored me for, I don't even know how many days that time. And um, so before I decided to leave, you know, I would say probably about the three months, but yeah, about 
three, four months before I started to leave, I think he knew something was going on um, because he would get like a little boy and he would come up to me and he would give me a hug and he would say, almost in a childlike voice, you know, you don't love me anymore. I disappoint you. You're going to leave me. I'm so sorry. I'm such a disappointment to you. Um, it was just very, very odd. Well, it, then, it's, um, it's fishing, you know, because there's, there's some people that when that happens, then want to positively reinforce that person or, or you know, I, the con person or the uh, abuser to reinforce to that person, no, you're not, no, you're not. Because some people, when that happens to them, their natural reaction or whatever kind of thing is going on inside of them is to, you know, defend the situation. It's kind of, in a weird way, it's like a reverse psychology kind of move. And for you, it seems like that kind of move didn't, ex- it didn't work that you kind of stood your ground. But you know, what he was doing was he was fishing in most likely this reverse kind of way. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. Part of me feels like it could have been that he wanted to end the relationship because he realized that his mask was coming off and that I I was going to start standing up for myself and he needed somebody that he could control and that he wanted me gone, but he didn't want to be the bad guy because keep in mind, his relationship with my son is very strong. My son's known him for four years, but he's very, very strong. And so... I, uh, finally, um, yeah, we had gotten another huge argument because my daughter was moving and he was furious that she was moving. And again, I told him, I said, this is her life. This is, these are her failures to make and they're her successes to make, you know, that she'll figure it out. And, um, it was a huge fight. And finally, and so after the argument was done, he acted like everything was fine. And, but of course I was so upset and I was being very quiet. And so he's like, you know, honey, what is wrong? And I said, you know, I just, it really hurts me the way you feel about my daughter. And he just went off and he goes, you know, I can't talk to you about her. You know, whatever she does, you know, is fine with you. You know, you just let her do whatever she wants. She manipulates, you know, she's lazy. She, she's just, you know, awful. So then he, I told him I was going to go visit her because she was moving and I wanted to kind of close that chapter. I took her to college. I wanted to be there when she was leaving. And um, he was furious that I was going and he came up with every excuse. You know, you can't drive your car. You're good. The, the rocks will come up on the freeway and hit your car and you're going to ruin the paint on the car. <clears throat> I said, well, I'll rent a car. It's a big old argument. So I finally, I just said, you know what? I'm going. And then he goes, I don't understand why you're going. What's there? And I said, my daughter is there, and I want to go see her. And um, so then he would tell me multiple times how sorry he felt for my son. Because I just feel so sorry for your son. The way you treat him is just awful. And, you know, he, he's really upset about it. And, you know, and he, see, he sees the things that you do that you don't do for him. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I'll send my daughter a, you know, a gift card. I'll send my son, buy him something else. I'm always trying to do stuff nice for both of them. It's not maybe equal, you know, but I do something different for both of them. And, um, and so he goes, so I said, well, apparently I need to have a talk with my son that if he's feeling this way and he goes, don't you dare. 
use that as a, a private conversation between me and him. And he goes, and you are not going to re- ruin our relationship. I go, well, he's my son. <laughs> he's not yours. And uh, so anyway, so I finally, um, I, I went and visited my, my daughter and I talked to her about more that was going on. And she said, she goes, I'm telling you right now, mom. She goes, he doesn't like women. She said, I noticed that from the beginning. And uh, she goes, you know, but, you know, I'm sorry you're going through this. And, you know, whatever you've got to do, I support you. So I said, okay. And so then by then my friends that I had kind of been alienated from, because all of my friends, I, I got, I quit talking to them, you know, while I was in this, going through all of this, I started reaching back out to. And, um, and so I started going to their houses once in a while. And I would, I, I would stay, tell him, call me, you know, I would tell my friends, call me and say, you need help with, you know, something. And then I'll say, oh, you know, I'll play dumb and say, oh, well, I don't know. Let me see what, you know, me and X has going on this weekend. And, and then he would say, oh, if they need help, go right ahead. It's, it's fine. So I started talking to them about it and getting a plan. And they said I could stay with them. And so I came home from being at their house. Um, my friend had actually had surgery, and I helped take care of her for a night. And we went to dinner. And he starts telling me how awful my friends are, and he can't believe one of them's so vain. And I just, you know, honestly said, you know, I don't see that about her. I don't think she's vain. And he goes, you know what? I can't talk to you. And he starts, you know, yelling at me at the restaurant. He goes, I can't talk to you. You know, just forget it. And he ignored me, started ignoring me again. So the next day, I got up. He wasn't home, and I just started moving stuff from my car into a storage unit. And I moved my stuff out and got in my car and I left. <laughs> I just, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't deserve this. I deserve something good. I don't deserve to be talked to like this, treated like this, manipulated, get control of my money. Um, and that was back in August. And uh, it, it's been, it's been hard. Be, and it's not hard because I missed him. It's just been hard because. It was really hard in the beginning to wrap my head around the fact that I really don't think any of this, the person I met wasn't real. He was, he was, you know, fictional in order to be able to get me in his life. And that, that's a hard pill to swallow that there's people out there that are very good at what they do and pulling somebody in. As far as my son goes, my son's not speaking to me. Um, he cannot believe that I left such an amazing person who's been so good to me and so good to my daughter. And he can't believe I'm doing this. And so, yeah, he, he, my son, I've tried talking to him. He tells me that I, all I do is lie and he, he, that, that he wouldn't do anything these things. And let me just throw in a couple of little, because this is important information too. Cause I told my son about this and he didn't believe me, but I want to share this with the listeners is at one point, as crazy as things started getting, I would walk, when I would go to go to work in the morning, we have stairs from the house that lead down into the garage. And he would always insist on opening the door for me to get leads to the garage. And um, if I would try to open the door myself, he would shut it and say, no, let me do it. And then he'd make me back up. And then he would open the door and say, go ahead. Well, a few times I would start walking down the stairs and he would push me. And I would lose my balance, but catch myself. And then I would look at him and say, you know, what, why did you just do that? And then he would say, oops, you know, sorry. And I'll use, I'll say son for my son's name. 
He's sorry, son. I don't know how your mom fell down the stairs. You know her. She's very klutzy. Um, he did that more than once. We would be driving um, on, a, on a trip to go, um, you know, to our house in another state. And we would be driving and everything was fine. And out of the blue, he'd say, you know, see that mountain over there, out there in the, in the desert? And I'd say, yeah. He goes, well, when I kill you, that's where I'm going to put your body. And nobody will ever find you. And then your son's going to call me up and say, hey, have you seen my mom? And I'd be like, no, I haven't. Um, I was going to call you. You know, she's been acting pretty weird lately. I don't know where she's at. And that happened multiple times. So it started getting very scary. Um, That's pretty well thought out that he had that thought (laughs) and like it was that um, developed. Yeah. It's not normal. No. And and people don't, you know, average Joe doesn't think like that. So it's, yeah, it's definitely been a learning experience. That's for sure. So when it comes to your son, because we've had stories on here where, you know, parents who are married to each other and it's their biological children, there's parental alienation. Now, here is our first instance that we've had where it's the stepfather who has brainwashed your son. And where do you go from here? What does your therapist say to do? What is your daughter uh, doing? Is she still have a relationship with him? Like, how is this dynamic working right now? So my daughter, um, her relationship with her brother is very rocky, um, uh, mainly because of my, my act. Before we met him, before I brought him into our lives, the three of us were very close. We lived together. Um, you know, and then my daughter went off to college and then my son and I stayed together, but we were all very close, but he came in and the same things that he told me about my daughter, um, you know, he also has shared with her brother and he's very, very convincing, um, when he's talking, um, you know, he has no friends and his only friend is my son and he has a sister and that's it. Um, he has no other friends. Um, my therapist has told me that this does happen. Um, she's seen it quite a bit. She goes, he will come back to you. It might take a few months. She goes, it could take a few years. She goes, but you've got to just keep trying, you know, send him emails, send him, um, text messages. Uh, Christmas, I went to his house and I left Christmas presents on the front porch. Um, you know, never heard a word. So now I've been texting him, letting him know I'm thinking of him. This week, I actually sent him a podcast that I have found about sharing, um, you know, abuse with family members and friends so they understand what you're going through. I emailed it to him and sent it to him via text. I don't know if he's read it, um, but I just keep keep trying, and I'm not going to give up. Um, I, I, he, but he doesn't believe anything right now. Right now, he but but my therapist has also told me that my ex has played his final hand, that he has no more cards to play because my son was his supply, and because my son's not speaking to me, that supply has now been cut off. So there's nothing more he can do to my son that's going to you know benefit him him anymore. So I'm hoping that eventually, uh, you know, my son will will realize and and come back. So in, in, a, in a way, he has to see the mask slip as well in some form or another 
to see Mm -hmm. what he's really dealing with. And with you out of the picture, there's no, I guess, common uh, bond or maybe a triangulation of sorts possibly for him to uh, have a bond with of something over because he now has to find maybe another piece of supply and that might get in the mm-hmm. way of their relationship. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And then, um, and then just to bring it full circle for my story um, after I left or um, I actually, I think I, you remember me talking about the ex fiance. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out, I was able to locate the ex-fiance and I reached out to her and I just, I told her who I was and just asked her if I could ask her a couple of questions. She got back to me immediately and wanted to actually meet me for coffee. And so I met with her and she didn't know anything about my story yet. She just thought we were still married. And, uh, she, I said, what happened? And she goes, Oh my gosh. She goes, he was so controlling. She goes, and she goes, it was horrible. And she goes, he would question my money. I mean, it was all the same stuff. She was smart enough to get out quickly. Um, it only lasted six months and she packed up her stuff and got out. Um, I asked her about what, about the ring. She started describing the ring that I was wearing on my finger. So the ring he gave me that he told me he designed himself, um, what he did not, it, it belonged to her and very well could have been somebody else's before that. Um, I have, I am now in contact with, um, his ex-wife and I've actually become very good friends with her. Um, because she, and that's been very healing for me personally, um, because she has a horrible relationship with him and she was married to him for nine years. And so she, she knows exactly what I've been through and it's all the same stuff. The just the controlling, the manipulation, the you know all of the gaslighting, the love bombing in the beginning. She went through all of it as well. So it's been very for me. It's been helpful talking to her because she knows exactly who I'm talking about. Um, and then I filed for divorce. I went completely no contact after I've left. Um, that's been huge, and I highly recommend that for anybody that has to get out of a relationship. Um, that's not statistic is to go to no contact. Um, he has not once called me to ask me where I'm at or why I left. Um, the only thing I received was an email stating how horrible I am to turn my back on a family that loved that you know loved me and that he will never forgive me for what I've done. And is all and within within two hours of me leaving, I was locked out of all the bank accounts. Um, I was locked out of of the houses. Um, since then I've been able to get the one house back that I'm, that I'm at now. Um, and I have to get all the locks changed. Um, yeah, it, it's been a mess. And then I'm going through the divorce process now. Were you able to like, with some of the money of the bank accounts, like, uh, it's split 50, 50. So were you able to get that stuff back? No, not yet. Not no. yet. Um, he, he took, yeah, no, he took, yeah, he took that. He took um, a, a bunch of items that we owned, um, and he took everything. And then he sent me he, he sent me a letter stating, you know, so he's keeping everything, and that I can keep the house that I bought with my inheritance um, from the sale of my mom's house. But yeah, <laughs> so it, it's definitely yeah. And then, but I will say this: um, I did have to go to court um, last month, and I was terrified because I have not seen him or talked to him since I left. And my counselor's advice to me was, she goes, you need to think of him as being teeny tiny 
and he's just a scared little boy. And I said, okay. And she was, you know, you, you can do this. So, I mean, I was, my heart was beating. You think you could see it. It was beating so hard that day. I was terrified. And, uh, but I did it. Um, I went into that courtroom and sat down and pretty soon they shut the doors. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, he's not going to come in. He's staying, he stayed in the hallway at the other end. So that to me was a very, um, that was a, that was a huge moment for me because I realized I am strong and I faced the music, you know, and I went in there, even though I was terrified, I did. And he ended up not even coming in. So I was like, okay, you know, he is, he is scared. I mean, I guess, I don't know, but you know, it, it was a good moment. So every day I get stronger. I'm in counseling weekly. I have a book club, um, that I'm a part of, um, that I found in one of the books. Um, and we meet a couple of times a month. And then I actually even started a uh, group on Facebook, just, you know, a support group where I kind of share my story and, and help other women just, you know, learn to find self-love. And that's kind of what we talk about. And we do, I do daily posts in there and journaling because everybody has a struggle. And I'm hoping, yeah, I don't want anybody to go through what I've gone through. So with all that healing and, you know, you're now in in a way an advocate for people that have gone through uh, what you went through, what are the the biggest lessons uh, and words of wisdom for others out there who are going through or have gone through the same thing? Well, of course, we're all stronger than we think. And I don't, don't, it's hard to find mud flags. Um, you've got to know what they are and they're hard. They're really hard to see. And through counseling, I'm learning what they look like. Um, I do, I read a lot of quotes and I just know that it's just, you're stronger than you think you are and you're going to get through this. Um, but life is short and life is precious and we need to love ourselves first. And if we're not being treated the way we should be treated and we're being, you know, gaslighted and manipulated and, all of the, the other things that we've talked about today, then get out and don't, and go no contact. Just once, once you're out, that's it. Move forward and you it will get through it. It's hard, but there's so much support out there. Well, Mallory, I want to thank you for being on the show and flexing your strength for everyone. And, you know, you're a, a fantastic role model for others who are going through this. And when it comes to things like red flags, especially for you, I mean, there were no red, like, yeah, there were some red flags, but there was so much love bombing going on for such a long period of time being hidden for so long, you know, it was, it would be impossible uh, to see what was going to about to happen impossible. So, you know, for you, um, and for others who are going through it, sometimes, you know, there it's hard, it's impossible to see, and there's no shame or guilt for going through what has happened. And I just want to thank you, uh, Mallory, for being here and sharing your story. You did a fantastic job. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very, very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. And for everyone listening, I hope you have a good night.